Chapter Twelve of A Woman of Yesterday. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jane Gray. A Woman of Yesterday by Caroline Atwater Mason. Chapter Twelve. I made answer to my friend. Of a surety, I have now set my feet on that point of life beyond the which he must not pass who would return, the new life, Dante. I ask you, Anna Malson, to go out with me to my work in India in May as my wife. Thus Keith Burgess, having recounted the story of the lights and leadings of the past twenty-four hours. They were standing and faced one another in a yellow beechwood, where the sky above their heads was shut out by the sunlighted paving of the clustering leaves. As she came down the woodland path, Anna had broken off a long stem of goldenrod, and she held it hung like an inverted torch at her side, like a sad vestal virgin at some ancient funeral rites. Forgive me for bringing this to you so swiftly. I know it seems hasty, perhaps unreasonably so, but to me no time or acquaintance, however extended, could change my wish. And you see, my time is so very short now. Keith Burgess looked with his whole soul sincerity into Anna's face and the integrity of his purpose, of his whole nature, could not be mistaken. "'It is not the suddenness, I think,' she replied slowly, with unconscious coldness. "'Like you, I feel that the great facts of God's will and providence may be made clear to us instantly.' Then she hesitated and paused. "'Please go on,' the young man said gently. "'It is only,' she answered with a pathos which a woman would have understood, "'that I did not want to be married at all,' I had never thought of it as being a thing I needed to be troubled about. Keith Burgess smiled faintly at her frankness, which was not cruel of intention, he knew, but his smile touched Anna's heart. I do not wish to trouble you, he said quietly. Please do not misunderstand me. It was not the way to express it. My words sounded unkind, I am afraid. I should learn better ways of gentler speaking. Other women seem to have them naturally. I like it that you are honest, even if it hurts said Keith steadily. I do not mean that you trouble me, not exactly, only that my life looks so plain and clear to me, and this is so surprising. It seems to change things so. Only by a little outward difference. I should not dare to ask you to go as my wife if I did not believe that you could work more effectively so, perhaps, he added timidly, even more happily, if I had strength and protection to give you, in a home of some sort, however poor in that strange land. Something in the quality of his voice brought swift tears to Anna's eyes. It was so new to have someone thinking and caring for her ease and happiness. It had so long been her part to do this for others, to forget herself, and take it quite for granted that others should forget her. He saw his advantage and sought to follow it. The thought of marriage is unwelcome to you, he said earnestly, because it is foreign and unfamiliar, I think you are very different from most girls of your age, and have lived a different inward life, higher and pure, and free from personal aims in a wonderful way. But even so, regarding marriage, I believe you are wrong. You think of it as an interruption, almost as a decline from the life you had meant to live. On the contrary, God has made it to be the very best life, the normal and fulfilled life, in which each is at the strongest and best. Where my work for God and men might fall utterly to the ground, you, by your pure insight, might help me to make it availing, 
and perhaps the poor service I could give might help a little to carry forward your work. Anna lifted her hand in a slight, expressive gesture. Look at the whole thing a moment, cried Keith with sudden boldness. As if you are not you, and I not I. Here are two persons, man and a woman, of the same age, within two or three years, led of the same spirit, to the same purpose and consecration and calling. Both ready to go out to the same unknown land, lonely and apart, and there to work as best they may, far from any human being they have ever seen or known. Such were we, and now God, looking upon us, sees that each needs the other, and in his good providence he leads us here to this place. I see you, and instantly my heart goes out to you as the companion, the other self I need. My soul recognizes in you its counterpart. God, in answer to my prayer, that he will make known his will suddenly, most unexpectedly, as I start on the new day, brings you before me, before I have spoken or met with man or woman, as the first, best light of morning. What does God mean? Ask yourself, Anna Mallison. Ask him. For my own part, I could not doubt his will. I have no right to thrust my conviction upon you forcibly. But to me, this is as clearly the call of God as my call to the foreign field or to the divine service. They were still standing face to face. And while Keith spoke, Anna looked into his eyes with the serious directness of one listening to an argument of weighty, but in personal import. With all his conviction and earnestness, he was as passionless as she, save for his religious passion, a strange wooing. Anna turned now and walked on along the mossy path in silence. Take time to consider, all the time you need. Do not try to decide now, said Keith, walking at her side. She made no reply. In fact, she did not realize that he spoke. Her mind was working in intense concentration. Keith Burgess alone, she would have turned away without a moment's doubt, but he had, or seemed to have, a mighty ally. She did not fear him in rejecting, nor desire him in accepting, but to reject God? That she feared. To accept God in every manifestation of his will was her deepest desire. But what if Keith were wrong in his conviction? Her pale face flushed with a flame of indignation as she thought of it that a man, whom she had never met or known, sought or desired, could suddenly invade the very citadel of her will and summon her to surrender her very life into his keeping, in the great name, when perhaps he was self-deceived, was coming in his own name, to do his own will. She looked aside at Keith's face as he walked by her, in sudden distrust. It wore no flush of passion, and in the blue eyes was the light less of earthly love than of heavenly. It was a look pure and high, such as a man might fitly wear as he approached the sacrament. A sudden awe fell upon Anna, as if she were looking upon one who had talked with God, and her eyes fell, the lashes weighted with heavy, unshed tears. He is better than I, she thought. A man like this could not lead me wrong. White and cold, and with a strange sinking at her heart, she turned to him soon and stopped where she stood. He looked into her face, his own suffused with emotion. She held up both her hands, the goldenrod, which she had held until now, falling to the ground. Keith Burgess took them in both his, and Anna felt that his hands trembled far more than did her own. I believe you are right, she said simply. It is the will of God. He kissed her then on her brow and on her lips, the salutation disturbing her no more than if it had been her brother. 
please will you let me go home now alone mr burgess she asked humbly like a child keith was disappointed but consented at once only he said you should not call me mr burgess my name for you is keith not yet she answered in outward things and ways remember please that we are perfect strangers it is only in the spirit that we have met then she left him and keith burgess stood watching the tall dark figure swiftly receding down the wood walk in the yellow light his look was wistful he longed to go after her but he forbore anna hastened down into the city streets and to the hospital where she was on duty every afternoon there was plenty of work awaiting her and not for a moment was she free or left alone to think her own thoughts six o'clock found her back in her own rooms at mrs wilson's they were low and dull after the fine spaciousness of the ingram house but that was a matter of little note to anna mally was there with a friend whom she had brought home with her to tea anna washed the dishes while these two diligently revised the trimming of their hats which in some particular wholly imperceptible to anna's untrained eye fell below the standard of latest fashion it was not until the girls left the house at seven o'clock and all her duties trivial and homely and wearying were done that anna alone at last could yield to the overpowering weariness which was upon her she carried the lamp whose flame seemed to pierce her aching eyes into the next room and then lying on the hard haircloth sofa with her head propped on one hand she closed her eyes thankful at last to be where she could let a few tears fall with no one to wonder or question the quiet patience and bred in the constitution of the girl's nature controlled her mood there was no struggle of revolt from the vow she had taken and the future to which she had pledged herself but an unspeakable homesickness had taken possession of her she liked and reverenced keith burgess no doubt she would love him very truly by and by but just now he seemed to have turned her out of her own life and to have taken control where she had hitherto as god been supreme it all gave her the same feeling she had suffered when after her father's death they had been obliged to give up their home for the coming in of a new leader for the little flock her father had led so long she knew there was no real analogy between the two experiences she could reason clearly against herself but she could not control the piteous heart-sickness which settled down upon her in the dim room in the silent empty house many women have suffered a reaction like this in the hour of committing themselves from the fear that this is not the supreme love the love of the lifetime the misgiving lest this man is not after all the man for whom they can forsake all others and to whom they can cleave with a perfect heart to the end these were not however the considerations which waited upon anna mallison it was as she had herself expressed it very simply that she had not thought about marriage at all she had no ideal of manhood in her mind from this point of view it was not that she craved the love of a stronger man or a man abler or better in any way than keith burgess she merely preferred no man she had not awakened to love the deeper forces of her woman's nature were sleeping still but there was not for an instant in anna's mind the thought of withdrawing from her plighted word to keith she believed that he had come to her as he believed under the divine light and leading she turned to walk in the new path marked out for her faithfully and obediently but pausing a moment to look with aching eyes and heart down the dear familiar path which she was leaving 
but anna was too tired to think long or even to feel and so fell asleep shortly in the stiff angular position in which she lay the tears undried upon her cheeks the sound of the knocker on the house door hard metallic but without resonance suddenly roused her and she sprang up hastily remembering that mrs wilson had gone to the great missionary meeting and that she was alone in the house she took her lamp and went down the narrow stairs into the bit of entry when she opened the door keith bridges himself was standing there he looked at her smiling half mischievously and she felt a sudden warmth at her heart as she met the sweet true look of his eyes didn't you ever expect to see me again he said and laughed as he stepped into the house and closed the door she smiled too and held out her hand he took it and kissed it in a gallant way which he found wholly wonderful being quite unused to such feats and unread in romances it will be a bore won't it he went on quaintly this having a man around to bother you perhaps i ought not to have come but you see i go in the morning and i thought you might have something to say to me before i left yes anna said adding naively but where shall i take you it is so new i have not had a call like this before she felt shy about inviting him up to her own sitting-room and there he queried pointing to the door of mrs wilson's drear little closed parlor oh no replied anna mrs wilson never lets us go in there it is too fine for anything but funerals and she was about to say weddings but broke off confused and they both laughed looking at each other like two children with their innocent eyes i can sit here said keith pointing as he spoke to the steep narrow stairs there was a red and green striped carpet on them and a strip of gray linen over for protection the little entry was bare of furniture save for the small uncovered table on which anna had placed her lamp very well she said i will borrow a chair from mrs wilson's kitchen and she forthwith brought out a clean wooden chair painted a light yellow and placed it at the side of the stairway for herself there being no room at the foot i was going to say remarked keith musingly as anna sat down that these stairs are rather wide and if mrs wilson is particular about lending her chairs i can make room for you here and he looked at her soberly between the stair rails anna shook her head but suddenly there came over them both a sense of the ludicrousness of the little scene they would have presented had anyone been able to look in upon them and they laughed again as anna had not laughed since she was a child something of exhaustion aiding to break down her wonted restraint it is so funny oh it is so funny she cried to see you looking out between those bars as if you were lying in a cage just think of the people at the meeting what if they were to see us two wouldn't they think it was dreadful would you mind putting your hand into the cage asked keith i assure you it is perfectly safe this is not the man-eating variety you are sure anna asked with a woman's instinctive coquetry swiftly developed but giving her hand it is such a beautiful hand he said laying it very gently on his own right hand which he had placed on the stair beside him and at this the first word of flattery which any man had ever spoken to her face anna blushed and grew positively pretty as he looked at her all this laughing and light nonsense between them did for her what a season of prayer and serious discussion of the situation could not have accomplished anna felt with a sudden sense of comfort and release that this new relation was not exclusively a solemn religious ordinance but a dear human companionship the joyousness of simple upright hearts and the sympathy of kindred minds end of chapter twelve